If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, as always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined with Allison Borg Bridges from Long Island, New York. Allison, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us, me. <laughs> uh, Allison, tell our, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of what your background in real estate is, what you were doing before that, and what you're doing today. Sure, absolutely. So I own a hair salon um, that specializes in curly hair on Long Island, Curl Evolution, and we have a hair care product company, Curlfection. And I retired from working behind the chair about four years ago and uh, was home with my children and started getting a little bored and uh, learned more about real estate investing and starting investing in 2019. Um, we've um, you know done a couple of different uh, types of investing. So really just trying to figure out what our niche is and, and keep things balanced within our portfolio. Awesome. So uh, I don't know the first thing about hair, but one thing that stands <laughs> out to me is that both your salon and your product line refer to people with curly hair and you don't appear to have curly hair. I do not. Is there a story there? There is a story. I had a a client years ago. I'm, I'm trained from Vidal Sassoon. I used to work in Manhattan and that's all very straight hair. And I had a client that wanted to embrace her curls about uh, 15 years ago. And I um, did a terrible job. I couldn't help her. And I, um, you know, a good problem is, is a nice challenge. And so I wanted to support her. And so we started um, working together to figure out what to do for her curls. And it took us down this path of um, starting to specialize in curls. People started seeking us out um, for our knowledge base and uh, it just kind of blew up from there. And so now the, the salon specializes in curls. That's awesome. I love hearing that. It feels so unrelated to real estate, but it feels like mm -hmm. it's so relatable to a lot of the like growth and entrepreneurial things we run into, right? A lot of times, like our biggest challenge or struggle or something kind of turns into the doorway that opens for us. So that's a, that's a really yeah. cool parallel. I love hearing that. Um, Definitely. Uh, so tell us about like kind of your, your break into, it sounds like, you know, before you started buying real estate, you kind of already had this like financial baseline with this like kind of financial independence from, from owning your, your own business and, and owning your own salon. And they provided you with some level of, of passive income. Um, and so you use that to kind of break into real estate. What is it? What did that transition look like for you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of got a little burned out of um, working um, with clients. I had been doing it since I was 16 and I had not been home with my four children and uh, I just I needed to take a nice extended break. And so um, the salon was um, running so that I could uh, step away from the chair and I stayed home for the first six months and did nothing. And not nothing, but, you know, ran around and for my kids and dropped them off. But I wasn't feeling very fulfilled with that. Um, you know, it got old fast. And then um, somebody had recommended that I listen to some podcasts and I started uh, listening to Bigger Pockets, of course. And um, 
listened for about six months a year and and then decided to take an action and you know, go into uh, my first real estate deal where it was an investment, not just my um, personal home that I was purchasing. Awesome. And what what did what did you buy? Well, year one, we bought one single family house and we did the Burr method. Cool. And then that was 2019. Then year two, we did um, one single family house and that was the Burr method. But um, being diversified, that was what I was looking at was that the salon, you know, that's one avenue and then COVID hit. So that's, you know, that shows you how quickly that stops. And um, I didn't want to be only having those single family homes. And that's when we started to um, go outside our area, outside of where we lived. Um, and we started buying small apartment houses. And so we got into the, the you know, more multi, small multifamily uh, properties that, you know, they don't kick off a ton of cash flow, but they are, you know, they're just more diversified because you have more tenants in the building. Residential real estate is a, a weird thing to pivot into for safety in the middle of an eviction moratorium. <laughs> it is, but you know what? Um, I really, our single family homes are in our hometown and they're, ex, you know, they're, it's expensive to live here. So those, that's going to be your higher end renter. And we went into thousand dollar rentals. So um, even if I, you know, the rates were so great that I can, I can cover all my bases with less than half the amount of, of what we were pulling in in rent. And they were all under market rent. So even if I had a couple of vacancies, which we really haven't at all, but um, if I did, it was, I was more than covered uh, for my risk was, was, was covered. Awesome. So why did, why did you only, so very similar when I started, I think I did about two houses the first year and, and it took a number of mm -hmm. years. But the limiting factor for me was I didn't know that the Burr method existed, right? I'd saved up every penny I'd ever had and put it as a down payment on those first two houses. And then I was out of money. And it took me another year of podcasts and reading books to realize like yeah. I could just recycle the same money over and over. Yes. So, so if you started that way, why is it did the rehab take you that long or did it take that long to find another opportunity? Why one house a year when you seemingly had the the magic formula at that point to just turn them and turn them. Oh no, we did all the things wrong. Like <laughs> it, it was, we were renovating it ourselves on our single family homes in our hometown. And, you know, we did the floors before we did the paint and we did things in reverse and brought in different contractors at the wrong times. And it just, it took seven months to renovate the property. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just like learning those steps to, okay, what happens next? And, you know, the, the paralysis that comes sometimes with, uh, you know, over evaluating your options and am I making the right choice? And, um, you know, so it, it just took some time to kind of figure out and then got all the money back plus 40,000 on that first one. And we were like, Oh, okay. That feels, that feels pretty good. Let's go do another one. So we did another one and that happened to be right in the height of COVID. We closed in February and March was the shutdown. And so we spent, um, you know, the beginning parts of COVID renovating a property and, uh, and figuring out, you know, how can we get contractors in with, you know, all the limitations that were going on at the time. And, um, and that, you know, just took some time to re get the cash back out again. Uh, and then that was when we decided let's, let's start diversifying into other types of, of property. Um, so that we're not just doing 
these single family firms that honestly don't make cash flow. They don't make a lot of cash flow at all. They make very, you know, I feel very, um, you know, the, 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 the mortgage on them is high risk, higher risk in comparison to the amount of cash that's coming from it. So I wanted to make sure that we were in a lot of different other types of properties, not just that. So something you said that stuck out to me only because I'm very much guilty of the same exact thing. You should like, well, I pulled mm-hmm. out, I pulled out all the money we had into it. Plus mm-hmm. 40 and, yeah. um, and that's, that's where your high mortgage comes from. And, and I look, I did the exact same thing. I burned a ton of houses and every time I burned a house, I pulled out an extra 30 grand. You know what I mean? Much as you I, could, right? Yeah. I thought I was a genius until I look back and go, Oh, well, there's none of those houses ever really cash flowed anything. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, then it's like, all right, well, I got to kind of come up with a different strategy if I really want to, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm glad I did it because it allowed me early access to capital to go buy more stuff to, you know what I mean? And, and and, in hindsight, like it all worked out and it's, you know, it's all, it's a big portfolio now and it's worth a lot of money, but like, like the initial goal of like, let's just build these, these cash flow machines that these passive cash flow machines, like that just when you're burring like that and you're, you're bleeding every penny, you're, you're maximizing that on 80% takeouts, right? You're just not, you know, on a, on the, yeah, it's not the cash flow. It's not the cash flow. And, and, and so what do you, how did you pivot from there? Well, we decided to begin investing out of state because we could get those small multifamily properties. And I had had, you know, started to get some experience um, with tenants, having tenants. And so um, we, we pivoted into looking for um, small markets that hit all our, bo- checked all our boxes of the things that we were looking for. And, um, you know, the types of stores we wanted nearby and income levels for the area and, and found a couple of little pockets that, that worked. So that was when we started um, purchasing, you know, the, the smaller multifamily properties. I want to ask you something about what you just said. You said it has the store, the kind of stores around that we like. Um, that's something we don't talk about a lot. I have two thought processes around that statement and I can, I can guess maybe they're both right. Or maybe you just use one of them. One of them is like, you know, typically if you're looking for an area that's going to appreciate, you don't want to buy one that's surrounded by like T-Mobiles and, and like, you know, places where you hawk stuff and pawn shops, pawn shops and stuff. Yep. And then, but, but on the flip side of that, like if you, you are looking for a great market that's going to continue to grow. And this is something I always like to do. I, I love seeing like a Starbucks or a, or a Whole Foods nearby. Cause like they yeah. did the market research, right? Exactly. Are, that's exactly. Not, and that's my marker. I'm a, I'm a big Starbucks fan. So, um, if, if, if Starbucks is nearby and I can get to a Starbucks within 10 minutes of the property, we're good. We're good. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my, my, box checking moments there. Yeah. And then a stop and shop or some kind of higher end food, uh, grocery store delivery, uh, you know, company is what I'm looking for next. Where did you end up buying? So we're up in Colchester, Connecticut. Okay. And, um, it's kind of an interesting little pocket up there because, um, the, the per household income is a bit higher than the surrounding areas. And mm. uh, we're noticing little stores going in and um, there's a lot of older homes there, but 
they have been converted into uh, multifamily properties. And um, there's a lot of landlords that have been doing it for a very long time. So that's kind of where we were able to come in and solve problems for people and uh, take over and, and just try to give the tenants a better experience. Awesome. Um, you mentioned earlier also that you you kind of started dabbling in the Airbnb space. Yes. Yeah, we just had our first, well, we have two properties now and they are, I'm very much into trying to stay in the same area if possible, even though I know we're, you know, about two and a half hours away from uh, the properties. We try to keep them all within a small area. So there's this lakeside community about 10 minutes from the center of town. And they've got these cute little cottages and there's a nice beach and tennis courts and basketball courts. And people like to use it as a destination um, place for their family, or they like to go to Mohegan Sun and there's a winery in town. So it's, it's a nice low key family area. And so, um, we started purchasing, well, we did rehab and Airbnb together, which I don't think that we're going to continue doing that. Cause that's an awful lot of work, more work, um, to do a, you know, a full, um, a full rehab of, um, cosmetics and then go in and do um the the build out of all the, the things that you need for airbnb so yeah. but yeah Furnish, that, that's furnishing it and all that yeah all the furnishings for it and all the you know the towels all the all the, all the things that you need to um make a, a a guest comfortable like a hotel right so but yeah so that's been great also and it just gives us another little part of the pie that's a different asset class than the other things that we have going on awesome and then also you uh dabble a bit in the larger multifamily space tell me a little bit about that absolutely so i'm very much learning to be a lifestyle investor as far as looking at you know what's my lifestyle look like and and what do i want to be investing my time in and um going into syndications and funds and going with the type of housing that we want to put out for people and, and aligning ourselves with the operators that are doing those things on a larger scale. But it's it's stuff that we don't have to necessarily keep our eye on uh, as closely because uh, the partners are managing that. So we're invested in mobile home parks and affordable housing in um, some of the you know southern markets, and then um, we've recently invested in a technology fund. So being a LP investor in those, and then I had the opportunity to be a GP and do some capital raising for um, another group that we we partnered up with, and we sit on the LP and the GP side for that, um, which has been great to watch them operate and and have input. And um, and just watch how a larger operator is um, running their business. So, what has your what is your strat? How has your strategy changed over the last few months in relation to how the market is behaving and how the interest rate environment is behaving and what we're seeing in the housing market? So, I guess this is a double sided question. Yeah, what do you think it's going to look like over the next year or two? And then how are you changing what, what you're doing in the marketplace to react to that? I think I, I see more opportunities opening up for people. So I'm excited about that. 
for ourselves as well. Um, seeing opportunities, but being more cautious. Uh, the interest rate's not good enough to go and, all right, let's go ahead and jump in and, and, and get in there right away. Um, definitely taking a, an approach of creative financing with um, properties going forward and um, trying to leverage that as much as we can to make it a, a good situation for the seller as well as, as for us so we can come to the table with less money out of pocket. So I think there's going to be, there is, a, there is opportunities presenting themselves. And I think that, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be a nice, it'll be a nice market for real estate investors to get into as long as you're not over leveraging yourself with, you know, the interest rate and the, and the, and the cost of your property. Yeah. So it's so funny because a lot of people, when you talk, when you talk about the phrase over leverage, a lot of, a lot of people always like their mind automatically goes to like LTV right? Like, mm -hmm. like the loan to value, like, Oh, I've got a 90% loan, you know, 10% down or whatever, but really over leverage is a function of, of monthly capacity. Right. Yes. And so those are like, those are two completely different things. You know, one is completely interest rate agnostic, like what your loan to value on the property is. And the other one is like a hundred percent interest rate dependent. Um, and we've seen that a lot in the market, you know, going from like, historical lows to near historical uh, i say not near historical highs but you know in, in our adult lifetime historical highs right yes and, and, and you can see like being over leveraged isn't having 95 percent loan to value being over leveraged is having you know a four thousand dollar monthly payment where you should have a two thousand dollar monthly payment Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being able to, you know, manage that on a monthly basis at the, you know, at the end of the day, what you think it, the, the LTV is doesn't make a difference when it comes to the actual market. So you got to be able to do it on a monthly and not necessarily on your future projection. So something else she said, which we, I've said the same thing and we've heard a lot of people saying it lately. It's a, definitely a buzzword and a hot topic is the, is the, um, creative financing or seller financing mm -hmm. and um how are you going about like approaching sellers and you know because seller financing from from my understanding is is like if you have like an aggressive direct to seller marketing campaign you know there's there's opportunities and, and there's nuanced opportunities to say hey will you carry the note back and and where it works out for both sides but you know chances are your general folks on the mls or your typical deals that you're getting sent are not going to be candidates for, you know, seller financing. Like, like, you know, I got to sell my house to buy another one. Well, not me, but like, you know, my neighbor has to sell his house to buy another one. You know what I mean? He's got to pay off that mortgage and he's, oh yeah, he, he's get you know what I mean? So he doesn't really have an opportunity to carry the note there. So, so specifically, what are some, some tactics in which you're taking advantage or attempting to take advantage of this creative financing and seller financing in the market going forward? Well, looking at the current debt on it, on what's, I mean, just for and as an example, a property on the MLS that an agent that I work with up in Connecticut came up and um, she had, you know, we, we looked at who owned the mortgage and they found out that it was a, you know, it was a, a person that owned the mortgage and not a bank. So we approached the person's children and they were willing to hold the mortgage. Um so just like looking down the line of even if it's on the MLS, it doesn't make it a no. It's just maybe look a little deeper into what's going on there. So how do you how do you find that out? Like how do you 
source who owns the mortgage? My agent was able to look down into the the details of the mortgage, but uh, state of Connecticut does a lot. They do a, a very good job of listing the information on the public record. So like in New York, I am a real estate agent in New York. So, and it's mainly for my own purposes so that I can get into the back end and, and look and get into the public record. But in Connecticut, it's different and it's all public and it's all up online and you can just pull the files and you can see what they, you know, all the information that they paid and everything where, where we are here, it's, it's a little bit more like you have to go to town hall or you have to, so there's more steps involved to get the, uh, or put a foil in. There's more information to, to be, you know, there's more steps involved. So she had, she had just dove in there and looked around uh, at that, but I've definitely come across quite a bit more um, seller financing. I had a lawyer that had approached me uh, looking to hold the note, but of course they wanted to do it on the DSCR. Um, and uh, it didn't make sense for me to put, you know, that much money into the, the opportunity that he was presenting. So. Sure. And so something yeah. I found out uh, the hard way, you know, because in my early days when I had no money and I was trying to buy a bunch of properties, you know, seller financing, especially low or no money down seller financing was like golden, but yes. man, it's not always, it's not always a great deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people get overly excited about off-market deals and creative financing opportunities and people significantly overpay and they buy dilapidated crap and they get themselves yeah. in, in, in that, in that over leveraged trouble. Right. I, I bought, For sure. I, I bought in, early, in the early days, I mean, a handful of duplexes and fourplexes that with like next to nothing down. And I thought I was a genius. And hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars later you know what i mean like it's all back in there (laughs) yeah it's all back in there all back in there now yeah it's yeah because it's you know you're doing it if you're doing any deal but the numbers don't you know it's down to that monthly you know amount again of what what are you putting in every month to carry this thing how much rehab does it need and to overpay for something doesn't make sense right Right. Unless you have a, a 60 year amortization on that. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, yeah, that's a beautiful scale. thing. Now and those like are a, the sellers that I need to talk to. Yeah. Well, I've seen that where, really? um, I, I think like, uh, and I don't know the, the details specifically of the underwriting, but like, you know, the, the main, the most, the most famous, I think guy these days on the creative finance and his pace Morby. And he was just, oh, yeah. he's always talking about this deal. He landed at this, uh, apartment complex where the the seller like put it on like a 50 year am yes and i mean even if he did overpay if it's a truly like lifelong hold cash flow pay a 50 year am you know what i mean that's that's going to be a low enough note to where you should be able to you know what i mean cash flow pretty well off of that definitely as long as you're cash flowing yeah, I guess it depends on vacancy and all the other things, because yeah. if you're if your heirs have to go and pay that property off. And they're putting money into it to cover that. Yeah, depends. So what. Um, what is what's next for you, like long term? Long term, um, we're looking at um, some more Airbnb properties and um i'm continuing to buy small multifamily, but 
just on my lifestyle that it is right now. And I've, um, I've kind of re refound my passion for, um, cutting hair and working with the clientele again. I just needed to have that break time where I had a choice. I was previously booked out about a year in advance and, um, that, that can get like a little heavy sometimes yeah. knowing can't take a vacation without making a lot of people upset or, you know, take off for your kids activity at school. But, um, I'm now on a schedule where it's good and I can refocus on that and clients. And so paying more attention to funds that are coming up and looking at, um, you know, working with partners now more so and, also, you know, we've started taking on money partners now also because um, I've had uh, several friends and family members that have come to me saying, hey, you're doing, you're, you're, they see the work that we're doing and they want to be part of that and, and providing, you know, the more affordable housing for people and putting out a good product for them. And so um, just focusing on that, working with our, our partners, our money partners, working with other partners on larger deals and, uh, just, you know, raising our family right now while, while the kids are all busy <laughs> running around. Awesome. 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 So I want to hop to our radio round real quick. And it's just three quick questions for you. The first one is what's your favorite book? Favorite book. Um, I'm going to say, mm, you know, I really like um, the best ever apartments uh, apartment book by um, Joe Joe Fairless. Yeah, I do. That's been my answer probably on a hundred of these podcasts. um, Yeah. That I've given that, that was why I started the show was after reading that book. Is it? Yeah. That's awesome. I go to his conference every year. I've been on his show and he's been online. I love Joe. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Awesome. What is your favorite quote? Um, what gets measured gets managed or whatever. I I made, you can't, man, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. I made, I made a video about that yesterday. Did Uh, you? Yeah. It's so true. You're not following your numbers, you know? Well, you can even, I mean, I, I, in the video and and I do these little 60 second videos, but like the example I use is like your weight. You know, anytime you use one of those little apps where you like plug your how many calories you're eating or you track your exercise, like you all just, of a sudden, all of a sudden, all yeah, of a sudden and, things are real tight, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and it's well, I would get uh, extra cookies. I would get, I would get to where I had like. I had like a guilt trip about having to like. I don't want to go tell my app I did this. You know. I <laughs> But it's, and it's so a good true. man too that's going to be honest with yourself and put it in the app if you do it yeah. so that's that's good you know well i mean why, why are you put if you're not going to be honest, why do it otherwise if you're like going to lie to yourself like, on yeah it. it's like cheating mm-hmm. at solitaire <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so what's your uh what's your favorite quote oh yeah that's your quote i'm sorry what's your favorite yeah. uh, uh my bad uh it's been a long morning what's your favorite thing to do outside of work Outside of work, you know, my, my new passion is, uh, downhill mountain biking. Oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot of fun. I like things that are going fast and, um, got some control on the bike and, uh, my 15 year old son loves to do it also. So, um, you know, it's something we can 
we do it together as a family, but it's, cool. it's good if I can get, because if I can go with him, we can go a lot faster. It's a lot more um, aggressive on the bike, but um, yeah, I really enjoy that. You know, Vermont, Colorado, it's a lot easier when they take you up the mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, awesome. Well, how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you and network? Absolutely. So they can visit uh, my website uh, for my property management and our uh, money partners is living-modern-rentals.com. And I'm on Facebook at Allison Board Bridges and Living Modern Rentals on Instagram. Awesome. Well, it was great to meet you, Alice. I'm really uh, happy. Yeah, with you too. To, to chat today. And I look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Sounds wonderful. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.